the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, a winner. It won't be this time. The stories. Brucott to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans. I'm from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See at the Game website, and your host for the See at the Game podcast. So, are you still savoring the Buffs' 36-14 win over the Nebraska Cornhuskers? Or are you ready to move on to the Rocky Mountains showdown? I am joined for this podcast by Brad Geiger and Neil Langland, and we're going to take a few extra minutes on this episode to revel in CU's huge win over the Big Red from Lincoln. We'll also break down the game against the Cornhuskers into what we feel the Buffs' performance could be rated as excellent, what was merely satisfactory, and which areas still need improvement. We will then move on to our tips for the renewal of the rivalry against Colorado State. The Buffs have won five straight in the series overall, but the team's haven't met since 2019. We will review the blackout game in terms of talent, intangibles, preparation, and statistics before giving you our predictions for the game. So, are the handful of first-team All-Mountain West performers in the CSU lineup enough to make it a game? Will the Rams have a big enough chip on their shoulder, or will the Buffs have too great a hangover, give CSU a chance at an upset? Will the extra week of preparation, yes, CSU had a bye week last week, give the Rams an added advantage? And are there any stats from these teams which could lead you to believe that the 23.5 point spread is way too great? Let's find out. Okay, and we are back once again and discussing all that is CU football with Brad Geiger and Highlands Ranch. How's Brad doing? Well, I had a really wonderful day with a couple of really close friends, so I'm feeling pretty good today. Okay. Well, Neil Langland's in downtown Denver. How was your day? Uh, what a coincidence. <laughs> I had the same experience Brad did. I'll say <laughs> And... Take it a bit further, we were at the Buff for Life golf tourney today, met so many nice people there, had a great time meeting all those Buff fans, and it was just a great atmosphere, and I was out there with good friends, couldn't have been better. Yes, so it was, uh, yes, the annual Buffs for Life golf tournament, and we were at hole number five on the Vista course handing out some see what the game swag 
And uh, yes, it was a good day. Met a lot of former players, uh, a lot of people, had a lot of association with the university and CU. And um, yeah, I think uh, overall, I'd say we had a pretty good day. Would you guys uh, agree? Oh, it was it was a wonderful day. A lot of great people turned into a good weather. Uh, we were on a hole that uh, challenged a lot of the golfers, which made me very glad I was not one of them. <laughs> yes, we had to. Uh, Gave up our bags for uh, hanging out, handing out bags of stuff. So, Neil, is your first Buffs for Life golf tournament? What were, what were your impressions? Oh, I loved it. And I, too, was glad I wasn't playing. Uh, the hole we were on was difficult playing long, but everyone was in good spirits and having fun and good shot or bad shot. Everybody was really in a festive mood that created a great atmosphere for the day. I have one question, though. Um, how carts come around with drinks and other things. They had an ice cream truck come by and one of the guys looked familiar. You, guys- <laughs> you know, the guy in the funny ice cream hat. Yeah. And yes. the, and the bib, yeah. The apron. Yeah. Kind of sounded familiar too. Yeah. You might hear him as a, the color commentator on KOA radio. So, yes. but yes, coach Barnett is a regular at the tournament and his, uh, task is to go backwards against the grain and hand out ice cream so Mm -hmm. a good time had by all and probably a better time had by all because of the fact that colorado two days earlier took out the hated nebraska cornhuskers by the score of 36 to 14 literally one second away from being the largest margin of victory for colorado in the history of the series of course, 62-36 was uh, the largest margin in history, and it would have been 36-7 to if the Nebraska hadn't scored with literally one second remaining. So, Neil, uh, what was your emotion of the day? We've been through a lot of Nebraska losses. How fun was it to be part of a Nebraska win? I really can't describe it adequately. I, I can't find the words to say what a great experience it was. Probably one of the top experiences I've had at Folsom, and there have been a few, but it's always best to beat Nebraska. The energy in the stadium, for those of you that weren't there, was unbelievable. Something that I don't think I've ever seen before. The emotion of the crowd, the influence of the Fox national show being on campus, and getting everybody revved up before the game, I couldn't have imagined a better day. CU kind of kept us in suspense for a while, and on CU's first touchdown, the place just exploded with emotion. It was just an incredible feeling the whole game. Yeah, well, Brad, the 2019 was a lot of red, not as much red this time. Um, we went from the Alumni Association tailgate to check out Big Noon Saturday from Fox, which apparently has adopted CU as its <laughs> namesake, and then tried to get to the stadium. Um, it was hard to get in and hard to get out for concessions. And yeah, some 53,000 of your closest friends. Pretty nice day overall. More than a pretty nice day. Gorgeous weather, of course. You know, for those of us who've still been attending the last couple of years, despite the struggles of the team, it was uh, kind of unusual to see all those people in our stadium. Um, 
and all the parking. I did, did, did notice our favorite parking lot increased by 50%. Inflation hits when the team is good. It was just from the minute you hit the, bowl, the boundaries of Boulder, there was an energy about it. Everybody was into it. It was just, there was an excitement that we have not felt in decades and just a joy to it and an expectation, which, you know, I had forgotten what it was like to expect to win a big game. So um, it, it's something I will remember for quite some time. Yeah. I mean, it, I literally, I do not know. I, I forgot to go back and look at the early 2000s, but I could not remember the last time C was actually favored to beat Nebraska. And we've beaten Nebraska, but we're rarely favored to beat Nebraska. So it was uh, an interesting emotion to be part of for, for sure. And yeah, I think one thing that stood out to me, well, two things. One is that we sit in the, you know, 50 yard line in these stands and we couldn't hear the band. We didn't hear the fight song once the entire game because it was so loud that the band's sound did not carry over to the east side of the stands where we were. And the other thing is that Brad and I's season, our season tickets are, there's a small cadre of fellow sufferers in that little area where our, we've had season tickets for decades. And we found out on Saturday that for the last 10, 12, 15 years, who knows, we've been sitting in the wrong seats. Um, <laughs> Nobody cared. We, we no nobody cared because nobody had seats behind us. So we somewhere along the line, we just sat back behind the people that we normally sit next to, just to give everybody a little extra room, and that just kind of became our seats. And since no one ever used those seats, they just kind of came became our seats. But I got seats seat backs this year for the first time ever because I knew it was going to be a sellout, and I wanted to make sure our two little thirty six inches of territory was marked off and found out that we're back sitting next to the people we knew uh former ralphie handler and yeah it was a, a day of emotion it was a day of fun um but to the game itself when we're going to do our reviews we're going to do a little bit of uh elementary school grading which is at least my elementary school grading decades ago where instead of giving a's a's and b's and c's and d's and f's um, I guess to not have hurt feelings, they graded excellent, satisfactory, and needs improvement. So going forward with our reviews for this year, we're going to look at those categories for the previous games. So we're going to look at the 36-14 CU victory. Brad, I'll let you go first. What did you think was in the category of excellent for the University of Colorado in the game against Nebraska? Excellent still remains that young man behind quarterback, uh, or behind center. Uh, Shadur Sanders is what we hoped of and more. His decision-making remains extraordinarily good. He started out a little slower. I was, I think, a little bit more tentative, likely because of the, the pressure of the crowd. But as the game went on, his, he just had a day. And it was a joy to watch him grow into it. Um, some of his passes, uh, the 15 yard touchdown pass, I would like to have a radar gun on that because it left his <laughs> hands and then suddenly was, it was in the hands of a receiver. He is just, he is a joy to watch and such a composed and intelligent young man 
little bit of his father in him. And, uh, you know, he imitated his dad's dance and, and got called for taking off his helmet. But that was, uh, that was, again, remains as one as good a performing quarterback as we've seen in decades. Okay. Neil, did you have anything you want to put in the excellent category for a team that, uh, beat the hated Huskers by 22 points? I'll agree with Brad that having a quarterback of the caliber of Shadur Saunders is Sanders, excuse me, is something we haven't seen here. Well, I'm not sure when we've seen it. We've had very capable quarterbacks, very skilled ones, but never anything at this level. And he is the sine qua known of the first two wins for Colorado. And for those of you that didn't suffer through three years of Latin, that's loosely means that without which not. And I think he has been the difference in the first two games with his improvisation, with his very clear picture of the offense, his ability to find not just the initial receiver, the primary receiver, but to check down. And when those check downs don't work, He'll scramble until somebody's open and then hit him with a, with a missile. He's just amazing. And I hope that we're able to keep him on his feet because he is really the ingredient that keeps this team going. No disrespect whatsoever to other players. Right. Well, I think that's pretty much true with most successful teams. If you don't have a successful quarterback, you quoted the good Latin, you know, without this, nothing. I think it's the literal translation of that. So uh, that's kind of where she is. I'd put under the excellent category. I just, I do resiliency because we are not used to it. We haven't seen it. And when Nebraska scored early in the third quarter, it went from 13 to nothing, 13 to seven. And we heard the first baby rumblings of go big red that we hadn't heard the entire game. Um, there was a chance for CU to kind of fade in the moment. And yet they went down a team that had a touchdown drive of one play for 30 yards after a field goal drive of three plays would have been a punt, except for we got a fumble recovery in the red zone, got a field goal. And they went 10 plays, 75 yards, scored a touchdown, 20 to seven, didn't look back. And they did that against TCU. Every time TCU scored in the second half, Colorado went back and scored another touchdown, which that's just not something we're used to seeing. And it's, uh, it continues to impress me, the resiliency of this team, and that goes to the coaching. After excellent, we've got satisfactory, Neil. What about the win was acceptable, but maybe not uh, as exciting or as uh, high caliber as you might have hoped? So overall, I'd like to put the offensive line in that category. It was sort of an uneven performance, and I feel bad just making any criticisms of them, but uh, the number of sacks that we had, not all of them were the, uh, attributable to O-line play, but they gave uh, Sanders time on many occasions and on many others, despite Shadur's scrambles could not avoid a sack. So that needs some improvement. But at this point, it's satisfactory balanced on the number of plays where he could, had good protection. And toward the end of the game where CU's running attack started to get 
some traction. So I, I think they've played well, but there are some areas on the negative side of the ledger that need to improve, including run blocking. Okay. Well, Brad, before we do the, the needs improvement category, anything you have in the satisfactory category that you kind of say was uh, good, but not up to excellent standards? I would say that the front seven of the defense was greatly improved from the TCU game. You know, certainly made some efforts. They gave, of course, the one big touchdown run, and they gave up some yardage. But there were other times that they made some really good plays behind the line. Um, if you look at the tackling stats, they were spread across the team. Um, I thought Marvin Hand was very active. Um, and the defensive line, I thought, generally played better. So we're t that's to the, the sector. I mean, that's what Nebraska wanted to do. They wanted to run the ball. They were dedicated to running the ball. After we watched their quarterback pass, we understand why they wanted to run the ball. <laughs> um, but um, I thought I was quite happy with the improvement there throughout most of the game. Okay. Well, I had in the satisfactory category uh, adjustments. Mm -hmm. Again, that goes to the coaching staff that come out in the second half and are able to figure out what the team was doing against us and make it work in their favor. Uh, the other thing, just statistic-wise, the bus were 9 for 18 on third downs. 50% is not something, again, a range that we're used to. And perhaps at some point we'll get past having the scars of years past to use as a reference. But, uh, you know, keeping the ball out of the other team's hands and continuing to maintain drives is uh, a hallmark of a team that can put up 36 points and win some games. Uh, so, Brad, I'll, I'll come back to you for the last category, the, the needs improvement. A 2-0 team now ranked 18th in the nation in the AP poll, 21st in the nation in the Today Coaches poll. Hard to argue with a team that's 2-0 and ranked 18th in the country, but what needs improvement going forward? Too many penalties. Um, although going back and looking, some of the penalties were, if not justified, at least understandable. But you can't have four unsportsmanlike uh, conduct penalties in a game that will cost you when it matters. And just overall, uh, I would say we need to come out hotter. We did a good job against TCU on that, but it looked, if not unprepared, at least nervous on uh, Saturday in the first couple drives. Uh, it took the entire first quarter. So I would say having being able to come out and come at it and then stay disciplined throughout the game. Okay. Neil, um, what would you like to see different? What uh, numbers, stats, revelations from the game you think puts uh, would be in the needs improvement category for your buffs after what you saw against Nebraska? Well, juxtaposing the TCU game with the big win over Nebraska, TCU was a very clean game for CU in terms of penalties and execution and just general game management. There were a few times where the team looked confused as to who was supposed to be in, uh, what play was being run, what was the formation. We had some motion penalties. We had an illegal formation. That's all just a matter of everybody being on the same page at the same time. That's something I think we have done better at, and I think 
we need to return to that level of just being highly organized, disciplined, and not making simple um, mental errors, I think. Okay. Well, I'm going to pretty much chime in with you guys on the My Needs Improvement. Uh, penalties certainly stood out. And again, as Brad knows, we watched the game again, and some of those penalties were either not penalties or justifiable penalties. <laughs> I have down re run defense. 222 yards rushing over five yards a carry. And yes, there were some 57 on one play, but still that's, you know, see who's in the bottom of the country in run defense. And that's going to be something I have to shore up if they're going to be competitive in the Pac-12. And see who's last in the nation in sacks. And there's some pluses and minuses to that. The fact that Shadur Sanders has zero interceptions, that he is willing to, make that decision to not make the bad throw. But he also, you know, there are some times we could throw the ball away faster. I'm not going to complain one bit. I'm not going to say anything negative about Shadur Sanders. We are super lucky to have him. Don't remember the last time we had a quarterback or we go into games where we knew we had the better quarterback. That's uh, just doesn't happen. I mean, maybe Steven Montez or a couple of games where she had the better quarterback, maybe a, the end of the 2016 season, Sefo Lufau was the better quarterback on the field, but it's few and far between where we go into the game saying, okay, in the category of quarterbacks, Colorado has a clear advantage. But um, I'm sure that's something as teams are going to focus on trying to rattle him and trying to get him um, and trying to blitz as much as they can to force the ball out of his hands. The sacks are going to have to uh, be dealt with. But that being said, uh, Gerard – Christian Lichtenhan was the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week. Um, graded out very highly on Pro Football Focus, and this is a holdover player um, from the 2022 team. So the offensive line is doing its job. So since this is such a huge game and such a, a wonderful memory in the making, um, any last thoughts, Neil, about the Nebraska game you'd like to leave with people about uh, – how much you uh, are going to remember this, savor this, or is this, uh, you're ready to move on to the next rivalry game? Well, I think Nebraska is our true rival. Nebraska may not feel that way, but took great pleasure in watching a lot of people dressed in red leaving early in the fourth quarter. That yeah. was That was sweet. The other thing was just the joy that the players and the coaches exhibited on the field, the focus they had on this game as a rivalry game, how seriously they took it. And that was clearly perceived by the fans. And it just, there was the synergy between the team and the fans, I think, that really made that game a unique experience and something I hope we can repeat many times this season. Okay. Brad, uh, final thoughts on Nebraska? We'll certainly be talking about this game for years to come. Uh, third straight win over the Huskers, only the second time in school history that she was beating Nebraska three straight games. What are you going to take away from this game that you're not going to let go anytime soon? I'm going to take away that the gap between CU's particularly offensive players and Nebraska's offensive players was as large as I've ever seen it. We throw playmakers at teams in bunches 
And this was the first time I, I, I suspected this going into the game and then watching it live confirmed it for me. We are just vastly more talented than a lot of the teams out there. And um, watching Nebraska's complete lack of offensive playmakers, as opposed to, you know, who are we going to throw at them this week? Um, at CU is uh, it's a bizarre and exciting experience. Yeah, I don't know what uh, what more can be said. I'm going to. I've already rewatched it once. I will probably sometime in the off season watch it again, um, just to take it in, go back and look at the pregame show. Just marvel at the fact that the University of Colorado was hosting Big Noon Saturday and now is going to host Big Noon Saturday again. So that's three straight weeks that Fox is featuring Colorado and ESPN, not to be outdone, decides to send game day to Boulder for the Rocky Mountain Showdown, which is kind of bizarre since the kickoff's at 8 p.m. and the pregame shows are in the morning. So they're going to Come and talk about a game that won't kick off for 10 hours after they go off the air. But it is the new reality. Um, We uh, interacted with Rick George's uh, wife and daughter, and they were telling us that he wasn't able to come to the golf tournament because they were doing a segment for 60 minutes. And that is the world that the University of Colorado lives in these days. Mm -hmm. So, again, being the featured team in the country – ESPN, 8 o'clock Saturday night, CU's first night game after playing two morning games. The Rocky Mountain Showdown returns, first time on campus in 14 years, first time the game's been played at all in four years. So for those that are new to the podcast, welcome, as we are with the the bandwagon for the University of Colorado, the CU at the Game bandwagon is always willing to take on more. And what we do is we go through tips for the game. That's talent, intangibles, preparation, and statistics. So we're facing an 0-1 Colorado State team. They lost their opener 50-24 to to Washington State. Neil, we'll start with you. Anything you want to say positive about the offense Anything you want to pass along to the, the listeners of what to look for from Colorado State University's offense coming to Boulder on Saturday night, ESPN? They have a good receiver, um, an experienced young guy. I think he's maybe a junior, perhaps a senior. Hard to tell these days uh, with the COVID year, but he's skilled. They have a running back. I think that's uh, more than adequate. They changed QBs and the new guy, Played the second half against Wazoo. Uh, Wazoo was playing sort of a loose defense, but the kid has a nice arm. Completed some very nice throws. So it's going to be interesting to watch him go against CU secondary. It's going to be a great matchup, I think. And I think CU secondary has an advantage there. The running game with CSU was not impressive. And... I think the best part of CU's, CSU's team, excuse me, may be their defensive front seven. Okay, though, well, we're going to stick with the offense for right now. Okay. For the offense, yeah. Um, I think it's going to be an anemic showing if the past is prologue. Okay. Brad, uh, Braden Fowler-Nucolosi 
is taking over for Clay Millen, who started much of last year, but was 15 for 24 for a hold of 110 yards in interception. Fowler Nicolosi did have some measure of success. Uh, I think the wide receiver that we're referring to is a first-team All-Mountain West wide receiver, Troy Horton. And there's a rushing game that, you know, had 37 yards against Washington State. <laughs> Anything on the offensive side of the ball, Brad, that uh, is of note in your world? You know, this is – it has been kind of frustrating to watch Colorado State fall so far behind in the talent department. It is just very difficult to see, again, how they're going to make this work. They have one moderately talented receiver. They've got a kid with a big arm, but not the best accuracy. And um, they're going up against our defense, which I think is a big challenge for them. You know, they'll get some yards. We're still giving up way too many yards, but um, it just doesn't feel like they can, they have anything that can cause them to break away. So yeah, sadly it's, this is a situation where it appears that we are just substantially more the the more talented defense against their struggling offense. Yeah. I mean, Kobe Johnson is a North Dakota state transfer supposed to be the, the answer, but he was held to 16 yards in the opener. And again, there's only one game stats to work off because CSU had a bye week in week two. And we'll talk about that. Uh, Brad, I'll stick with you for the defense. There's two first team, all mountain West defenders, defensive lineman, Mohammed Kamara, and a very busy linebacker by the name of Jack Howell, first team on All Mountain West. He had 16 tackles against Washington State. But of course, when you're giving up 50 points, you're pretty busy on defense. So Colorado offense against Colorado State defense. Any reason there that the Buffs shouldn't match 50 points or... Washington State had 29 points in the third quarter. The fourth quarter is a 21-21 score fest in Fort Collins, but they did have 29 points in the three quarters. That seems to be at least a kind of a floor instead of a ceiling for the CU offense against this defense. Yeah, I would be very surprised if if we're not looking at you know 250 yards by half. Um, I would hope that this is the game where Shadour can maybe rest a little bit in the second half, but the, the CU passing offense is just is too is very good as we all know and is too good for Colorado State. Um, you know they it was it was their opening game, but at home they gave up 466 yards passing, um, and that's a good Washington State team. Let's not be wrong about that. But they don't have the playmakers at wide receiver in particular that we that CU has. So again, I will Colorado State pick its poison? Yes, it will try to stop you know, Travis Hunter or Horn, and then they will have to deal with the other receivers. And, you know, CU didn't get, say, Dylan Edwards is involved last game, as we might have hoped. Um, So I think Colorado State is going to have a really challenging time deciding who to try to stop and then making that work. Obviously, they're going to do what everybody else is going to do. They're going to come at Shadour, but they don't have the pressure. They don't have the talent on defense that, either one of the teams we faced has had so far. Yeah. Well, Neil, I unfortunately cut you off, but you were going to sing the praises of the Colorado State front seven. 
What say you about the uh, the stalwart Colorado State defense coming into Boulder? They are the the better part of the defense, I believe, and trying to complement Brad's analysis, I would think that it's a pick the poison thing for CSU's defense. If they try to pressure, they don't have the guys in the back to match up with our receivers, either in terms of agility or speed. And that's going to be a dangerous thing for CSU to try. And if they then try to stop the run and stack the box, then it's again going to be some one-on-one -on -one coverage for CU's receivers. And I just think that CSU's DBs don't have the speed or otherwise the talent, no disrespect intended, to stay with our receivers. So I'm not sure how CSU is actually going to stop CU. It may take a quarter for CU to make adjustments on what CSU has been cooking up for the past two weeks. But I'm a I think that's going to happen easily by the end of the quarter. And from then on, it's going to be pretty much whatever CU wants to do against CSU's defense. And I expect this time, probably our running game. They won't be able to stop our running game at all. So I'm looking for big days for our running backs. Okay. We might be getting some running backs back. We'll see if either one of the injured backs is able to to play, but uh, certainly Dylan Edwards would have no problem taking 20 carries out of this game and see what we can do with it. Brad, moving on to the eye, the intangibles. It's a rivalry game, the Rocky Mountain Showdown. Teams haven't played since 2019, so in that sense, it's just like the uh, Nebraska rivalry. It's been dormant for the last four years. Uh, used to play in Denver this first time on campus in 14 years. Going to play in Fort Collins next September. So what intangibles might uh, the the Lambs, the Rammies, have going <laughs> for them in this rivalry game in Boulder? Well, I mean, they, they had a week last week off. They've got two weeks to prepare. They have gotten to see our offense. And to the extent that you can predict our offense, they at least know what they're facing. They are not going to be TCU who was surprised at what we could throw at them. Whether or not CSU has the talent to make that matter, different problems. And there is always and always shall be um, a little bit of a uh, little brother chip on the shoulder for the Rams coming to town. Um, the problem is they're coming to town. The problem is they're coming after a loss. And they're coming at a down point in their program where they're hoping to go up. So, you know, that may carry you through a couple of, uh, a couple of series. Uh, but that's going to be a it's going to be a tough crowd it's going to be a night crowd it may be a crowd that has been celebrating for most of the day <laughs> most of the last week yeah and has for the last week so the intangibles uh you know to the small extent that csu has them i don't think they overcome the big advantage CU has intangibles okay well neil certainly you think that the the Rams would want it more. This is a much bigger game for them. And CU is just, their players have been talked about the rivalry, the rivalry, the rivalry when it came to the Nebraska game, and they have to turn around and have that discussion again. Buffs maybe looking past the Rams 
and maybe that will work to the Rams' favor going forward. The Rams have nothing to lose. I mean, they've lost five straight in the series. Not that any one of these players had anything to do with that, and they certainly didn't have anything to do with the last time they played in Boulder, which was actually a CSU win in 2009. Anything that uh, you can see are intangibles as far as the uh, giving an edge to the Rams, looking forward to their Super Bowl, while Colorado's looking forward to their Super Bowl against Oregon next week? A good question. I think it will play out in this way, that this is CSU's Super Bowl. It is their most important game on the schedule, regardless of what they may say about this game. I think there may be some intrastate um disaffection for CU given all the attention that CU has had so the chip that Brad mentioned is now a big block and I think they're going to come with everything that they have uh, in terms of motivation in terms of um, new schemes on offense and defense so that as Brad said is going to last for a little while and even though They've, they've had two weeks to, to plan. It's different than playing CU in the opening game where CU's record against CSU is much, much better. There, there's just no way really that I can see that CSU can stand up for four quarters to CU's talent. I think the talent gap is so big, it's gonna overcome the intangibles. Furthermore, uh, Nebraska's coach went out of his way to annoy CU and to motivate them. CSU's coach so far, at least at his press conference, was very complimentary of Coach Prime and of CU. So trying not to give them any bulletin board material, but they're going to do everything they can, CSU, to ambush the bus. Yeah. So want to be in your seat on time for kickoff because there might be an onside kick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to pull out reverses, trick defenses. They're going to do whatever they can because they've got literally nothing to lose. So moving on to uh, preparation, Neil, Brad alluded to the fact that uh, Colorado State had a bye week. I just had to. I always look, you know, and when they start announcing the non-conference, they obviously announced the non-conference schedule a lot earlier than the conference schedule. And I started looking at who the other teams are playing in a non-conference schedule. And I just had to laugh that Colorado State was the only team in the country to have a bye week in week two. (laughs) Now, their players are going to have to play 11 straight weeks after this game. But Colorado State apparently thought it was important enough to uh, try and get any advantage they could. Uh, Rick George is very wise. Another vote for Rick George for athletic director. He did this years ago, but the idea that we're not playing in the first game of the season, so they don't have an entire month to prepare for the game, but they tried to pull out all the stops and even there and give themselves two weeks. Did I have anything, uh, any concern for you or anything else about the preparation for this game that uh, you think is noteworthy? Well, this is sort of a, an intangible that spills over into preparation. CU has had two highly emotional games and highly emotional experiences and can't sustain that level forever. So 
perhaps they're going to take just a little bit of a dip this week in terms of their motivation. And I, I hope I'm wrong about that. And it may take a while for CU to boot up. But that's the only major concern I think I have about preparation. I think CU has lots of film on Norvell and his offense, so it shouldn't be difficult to prepare for their schemes. And while CSU may gain some yards on trick plays, those are going to be limited. So I, I think CU is in fine shape, even though they may be a little bit tired after their first two weeks. Okay. Well, Brad, it's an 8 o'clock game after two 10 a.m. games. You think that that might have any uh, preparation issues for the University of Colorado players? Of course, college kids are used to being up late, but this is a team since first day of camp in August has been getting up at 7 a.m. for practices. And I noted that there was an article that uh, Colorado State has been practicing at 8 p.m. for the last two weeks to try and be best prepared to have their put their best foot forward later into the evening. So. What do you think about uh, Colorado State practicing late at night? Do you think it will have any impact? Is that something that might be a a negative for CU? Uh, again, it's this is this is all new for the CU team, and it's going to be a weird day with both of the with the big noon and the college game day there at weird hours. So, you know, how you hold yourself through the day and how you prepare is something new that this team has to learn. If only their coach had occasionally played in big night games so that he could tell them a little bit about how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I think I seem to vaguely recall watching neon Dion under the lights once or thrice. And uh, you know, the defensive coordinator uh, was at Alabama. They did this occasionally too. So they're not unfamiliar with this. So yeah, all of that is different. And I agree with Neil that the, the energy is very different, but that probably all leads to a slow start for CU. But uh, I agree. These guys probably are not, you know, usually curled up in bed by nine o'clock. Yeah. I wonder if, I mean, coach prime told the players to embrace all the attention that they were receiving before the Nebraska game. Since the game is going to be played 10 hours after these shows go off the air in the morning. I wonder how many players, if any, are going to be going to game day or might be guests. They might have Shadur as a guest on one of these or Travis Hunter might be interviewed. And obviously that's a whole lot different than being holed up at the CU practice facility waiting for the drive down to, to play the bus. So uh, everything about this is great new world. So Brad, I um, guess quickly, any statistics? We only have a small sample size, 50 to 24 defeat by Washington State. CSU obviously has only played one game, as we've been talking about. Are there any stats that stood out to you, either in CU's ledger or anything you saw about Colorado State that thinks will you think will be an influence on this game? Well, first of all, one of the things that continues to stand out is that we're showing CU's offense in almost all categories is in, you know, top 15, top 20, you know, 22nd in things like first down offense, passing downs, uh, that kind of stuff. It's 
if you compare our rankings to CSU's rankings, and again, it's two games to one, um, the distance is what's amazing to me. And CSU, particularly in the first game, was egregious in third down, um, both in surrendering and in picking up. Um, and that's going to be a challenge for them. I think they're going to have a difficult time staying on the field, and I think they're going to have a very difficult time keeping us off the field. Okay. Neil, anything that uh, you might be looking for in the stat sheet on Sunday to confirm your suspicions or your prediction? Well, I, I'm sort of a fan of total offense with this team, and I think CU is likely to go over 500 uh, somewhere end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth, and to have a fairly balanced attack. CSU had a lot of three and outs, so there's going to be a lot of possessions for CU, I think, chances to score and to accumulate yardage. I think the big thing that I want to look at is how many times Shadur has to tuck the ball and run or evade, how many times he's pressured. If we can keep him clean and keep him in the pocket where he can pick out and do check downs, we'll be just fine. So I think the, the stat is going to be hurries and sacks that CSU gets and the amount of yardage that CU is able to pile up. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the, and again, again, small sample size, but to live in a world where CU is averaging over 500 yards a game in offense and over 40 points a game in offense, <laughs> it's just bizarre after, you know, averaging 15 points a game last year. I I can't wait for the stat. Too bad Dave Platty's not there. He'd probably have it figured out that sometime mid-September we would have passed total yards and total points of all last <laughs> season. And, yeah, the Rams can't run the ball, or at least they weren't effective running the ball against Washington State, which – was, you know, Nebraska's game plan was to run the clock, hold the ball, long drives, keep it out of the, the hands of Shadur. And it really doesn't look like CSU has the ability to do that. And on the flip side of it, they're going to give up a lot of points. They're going to give up a lot of yards. Yeah, it just uh, doesn't look very good if you're a Rams fan. I don't think we're going to have a whole lot of green and gold invading Folsom Field. I think they're going to stay away in droves and any tickets that are out there for this sold-out game on StubHub are probably CSU fans trying to make a profit on tickets that they previously purchased, you know, thinking that CU was going to be a game they had a chance to win. So that leads us back to our actual predictions. So the hard part, at least in theory, is not predicting who's going to win the game. The hard part is deciding whether or not you want to take the 23 and a half point spread and predict that Colorado is going to win by 24 points or more. So, Neil, let you uh, let you go first. Colorado, I'm assuming you're going to pick CU to win the game, but is this a game where Colorado can score enough points and not have garbage time points, you know, like CSU had 21 points in the fourth quarter against Washington State to somehow get some sort of a backdoor cover. What's your your feeling about how the, the final score might play out on Saturday night? Well, so the bookies seem to be predicting somewhere around 42 to 18 
I think it's going to go over that probably because CU is going to be substituting liberally in the fourth quarter. So there could be some garbage time points. That said, I'm going to go over and I think CU will cover those. And I think they're going to score somewhere in the neighborhood, well, over 50 points, let's say, and limit CSU maybe to 17 to 20 tops. So 50 to 20, something like that, or what? Uh... I'm going to go 55 for CU and 17 for CSU. Okay. 38 point. That uh, was the uh, last time CU had a spread this big, Brad. It was 38 points against Northern Colorado, and they won by 28. So that was the, the season opener for 2021. That's just last time I could find CU having this big of a spread. So where uh, where do you come down on this game? Do you think that uh, Colorado is going to be able to, to cover the spread and the, the Rams are going to give up in the second half? Or is this fight to the end on whether or not the uh, the spread's going to be covered in this game? I'm a, again, don't put words in your mouth. I'm, you let me know whether or not you think CSU is going to have a chance of winning the game. No, I, I don't think CSU has any kind of realistic chance of winning this game. Um, they are three better recruiting classes than they've had in a long time away from even competing against this team. You know, there was always a concern. 23 and a half is a lot. Um, I think there is probably some incentive for uh, us not to play for to play Shadur the entire second half, which, you know, gives you concern that the, Final scoring might not be as close. That said, this team has not shown a tendency to let up a whole lot. You know, anytime you get over 50, it's a lot of points, and it uh, sometimes requires a little luck. Uh, you know, I see this more like a, a 48-17 kind of game, um, but I'd be very surprised if we're not in the 25 to 30-point range. Okay. Well, it's kind of strange. I didn't know what the spread was going to be. And the first was 17 and went to 21. Now it's 23 and a half. And there was a lot of money bet on the University of Colorado for the Nebraska game. And a lot of people got made some money on a three-point spread with a 22-point win. I really think this might be a backdoor cover, but I'm with you guys. All three of us are predicting CSU is going to have 17 points, which don't know how that happened, but it seems pretty bizarre. But I'm the least optimistic, I guess. I had it down as 42-17. So we went from 55-17 to 48-17 to 42-17. to So uh, all three of us have CU covering. All three of us obviously predicting the University of Colorado to, to win the game. So it should be fun. It should be the, the least stressful game that the University of Colorado is going to have, which sounds bizarre that, you know, see, would have any game that wouldn't be stressful and coming off of what they had to deal with. And, of course, Oregon, the national game on ABC at 1.30 Mountain Time the following Saturday, maybe it's something where, you know, again, you mentioned that they pull Shadur early and Ryan Staub didn't do particularly well. I'm sure he's anxious to get a chance to, redeem himself a little bit, having a fumble that ultimately led to Nebraska's final touchdown. But yeah, it should be a lot of fun. It should be a big party. 
and it should be fun beating a, a rival by a pretty healthy margin. So looking forward to the blackout. Um, if you haven't heard, if you're going to be going to the game, it's a blackout game. So should make for good photo ops with a sellout. So until then, and then we'll be back next week, we'll talk about the CSU game and preview the Oregon game, which the entire nation is going to be looking forward to. So if Oregon holds serve, I think they're a 38-point favorite over Hawaii. And CU holds serve as a 23.5-point pick over CSU. It will be a matchup of two top 20 teams. So should be a good game next week, which hopefully will not be a terrific football game other than maybe the first half of the University of Colorado. So look forward to that and look forward to talking to you guys again next week. So enjoy, savor Nebraska victory for the next couple of days, and then we'll look forward to playing CSU on Saturday. Well, one more time, go Buffs into this brave, new, fascinating world we're in. I just want this dream to continue. I don't want to wake up. Don't pinch me. Thank you both for listening to this podcast and for being a member of the Buff Nation, which remains the talk of the nation. I hope you're subscribing to the podcast so you won't have to miss any of the upcoming episodes. We have partnered with Mile High Sports and are pleased to be part of their podcast network. As before, you can find the See What the Game podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other podcast sites. Or if you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all of the episodes can be listened to at the See What the Game website. I will be back next week with Neil and Brad, and we'll give you our review preview, talking about the CSU game, and then previewing the upcoming ABC national broadcast of the game against Oregon. Until then, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to see you at the game at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.